0: me being nice. I want to move away from our verse-by-verse study through the book of Hebrews and help prepare us, Brother Chairman, for our annual missions conference beginning next Sunday. I'm burdened about missions at Red Bridge, and my burden is not because we're rebellious about taking the gospel to the world we're certainly not we're not indifferent about world missions we're intentional about world missions and so that's not where my burden lies I'm not burdened about our interest in missionaries themselves the actual men and women in fact I've been told multiple times multiple times by missionaries on our team and others as recently as three or four days ago I was told this from by a man from Brazil with all kinds of other people listening to the online um, conversation we were having and and not on our mission team and I've been told that Redbridge Baptist Church loves missionaries and even spoils missionaries Many missionaries have told me in word, in letter, in email, by career missionaries that no church treats them better than do we. To God be the glory. Amen. That is not where my burden is. I rejoice in that. We do world missions pretty well for a small Midwestern church, um, We do that pretty well with having our own mission house, with owning, at one time now, overseeing a third world mission, orphanage in Haiti, uh, and the missionaries that we support on our team. My burden then is not one of global evangelism, but local evangelism. You see, I'm only a little bit aware of how our entire year of 2019, 2020, from October to coming up October, our year of being salt and light in KC has actually made any practical difference. Now, I can't measure that entirely. I can't measure that in every way that it could be measured, but I can barely see a ripple barely see a blip on the oscilloscope as it were of if it has made any practical difference at all and yet God has commanded his people to be poured out of the salt shaker and to be poured into the world that is what he has commanded us guys if you would bring that up if you would um, that we are called to be poured out of the salt shaker and poured into the world. Of course, there's a famous book, a well-known book written 30 years ago with a similar title, and, and I, uh, I lifted that. Becky Pippert is the name of, uh, of the, uh, the one who wrote that book many, many years ago, and I adapted it for this use. But folks, we can ramp up our prayer and care for our missionaries as one ought to, As we must. That's a good thing. We can learn about heroes by faith of yesteryear and even in recent times. And we should learn about that. We can give to the field sacrificially and go to the field consistently as we're able. However, unless and until I'm poured out of the salt shaker and poured into the world. I would argue that God's not impressed one bit. You see, a congregation filled with lost people can throw money at missions, can't they? Yes, a congregation of Christ deniers can establish an orphanage in Haiti, correct? Sure. Money does a lot of things in this world. Manpower can accomplish much on the human scale. But unless we are wholly given to him and carrying his burden day in, day out, and, and I'm I'm I this is I've had to wear this for many days in my own life personally, I am blessed and humbled at the same time by my wife's love for lost souls and the difference she's making in our neighborhood. And that might be the blip that I'm seeing. I'm not seeing much. Lest we dare have another missions conference and support more missionaries and encourage more missionaries and send out more missionaries and throw more money at it and pray even more fervently while not being personally and individually me and you poured out of the salt shaker and poured into the world i would argue what amos said take away from me the noise of your songs because your heart is not actually there I said earlier that that was the nice part this is the now I won't say that we have sensitive minds here this is the scoping that is being done to look inside, for me to look inside. This is not a holier than thou. This is a woe is me if I'm not poured out of the salt shaker and poured into the world. No matter how much money I give to missions, no matter how consistent I go to the field, it's easy to give to missions. If you make $10 this week, and give a dime to missions, that's, that's, it's easy to feel like I have satisfied my calling. I can be self deceived in doing that. I can certainly join in in a prayer meeting for our missionaries. Good night. Bill and Jennifer Campbell about worked themselves to death over the last two decades. So I do care that they are sustained of the Lord. Uh, uh, Koku and Akpeni are wanting to get to Togo. And God, they, they, are, they are prime candidates. Send them, let them go. And I mean that with all my heart. They are from there. No language, no cultural issues. God, why won't you send them? We're giving them hundreds of dollars a month. I can pray that fervently while at the same time being at ease in Zion about my neighbor, coworker, classmate, lost family member. Do y'all understand the point I'm making here? And I believe the point the word of God will make in this as well. Am I poured out of the salt shaker or am I perfectly comfortable? And it's easy to be at ease in Zion. It's quite comfortable to be at ease with us four close the door no more. And not having to mess with the mess Of the world. And folks, the world is a mess and so desperately needs the Lord. So let's take a look at ourselves and evaluate whether or not there is a pouring out of the salt shaker and a pouring in to the world. Acts, if you would. The book of Acts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts chapter 8 verses 1 through 8. You who brought visitors today, lean over and say he's normally nice Acts 8 beginning in verse 1 and Saul was consenting unto his death speaking of the deacon Stephen from chapter 7 and at that time there was great persecution against the church which was at Jerusalem and they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles they stayed pastoring the church the mother church at Jerusalem for that time And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering into every house and hailing, that is, dragging out men and women, committed them to prison. Therefore, they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. And here's the key part, verses 5 through 8. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria went down because Jerusalem is elevated, although Samaria is north, and preached Christ unto them. And the people with one accord gave heed unto those things which Philip spoke, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits, crying with a loud voice, came out of many that were possessed with them, and many taken with palsies, and that were lame were healed, and there was great joy in that city." the church was moving out of jerusalem that is believers were moving out of jerusalem into the surrounding areas of judea and samaria and our text has taking place with philip in the city of samaria located about the center of the promised land and when these believers settled of course they got jobs they started farming they started shepherding sheep or whatever it is that they were doing for a living because they had to put bread on their tables they had little ones presumably they had to put they had to feed themselves of course as well yet all of their lives were focused on communicating the truth of the gospel Philip went down he preached Christ unto them and they heard and they believed And great joy came upon them. I find it interesting that the type of people God calls to Himself and to whom He has sent the gospel out through these vehicles, what type of people are they? Well, it's not those who are full. It's not those who are sufficient, but it's those who are needy, who are helpless, who are hopeless, who say, God, unless you save me, I am doomed, or as the believer. God, unless you burden my heart, unless you open the door, unless you bless the gospel witness that I've just given, then it's just going to fall on deaf ears. In other words, it is and only is a dependent people, a needy people will God Use, will God actually take and do something it's not the rich and the famous it's not the sophisticated it's those who will go to those who are hopeless and helpless even if your neighbor makes a six-digit income if he or she is outside of Christ he doesn't have any hope and he can't help himself only the Lord can make a difference Three points, if you're taking notes. First of all, we see in verse five that Jesus sends the gospel to the socially outcast, and he to them is the all-accepting creator. You say, where do you get that in verse five? Well, notice in verse five, Philip went to the city of Samaria, Samaria, and preached Christ unto them. In other words, Jesus identifies with those the world has discarded. He doesn't accept sin, but he accepts people from every social class. Rich or poor, prince or pauper, self-righteous or self-loathing, he presents himself and calls all of them to repent and believe. Now, here in Samaria um, and in the rest of Israel, they didn't recognize that the Samaritans were hated by the Jews probably even more than the Gentiles were hated by the Jews because the Samaritans were so-called half-breeds that is they were part Gentile part Jew from the Assyrian uh, captivity that happened centuries earlier and in fact uh, they were not uh, they were considered uh, 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 just uh, uh, really uh, uh, unworthy of anything. Uh, you're you're just you're kind of you're kind of shady you're not you're not acceptable and folks the lord of glory the creator of the universe no matter that he created everyone in his or her skin coloring and socially uh, social uh uh, socioeconomic level and all the rest um, he himself experienced that very same thing he was an outcast in fact He was accused of being sinfully illegitimate in his birth. He had grown up in Nazareth, and nothing good can come out of Nazareth. It's the trashy type of folk. And that's how the Samaritans were viewed. The common citizens of Israel didn't have any use for them at all. And yet, Scripture says, because he's the creator, he doesn't have any respect of persons. That is, he does not favor you because you're white or because you're not white or, or because you are an American or because you are a Brazilian. God doesn't factor those things in with whom he will accept. It's the heart which matters. Amen. And he came to those who were socially outcasts that people hated and everyone in that land in that day everyone's a a big big statement The, the the lion's share didn't have any use for the Samaritans to teach that truth Jesus illustrated it with the parable of the good Samaritan which teaches the universal scope of the heart of God because he does not delight in the death of the wicked he created them You say, well, don't the wicked deserve to die for their evil sin, for their wickedness? Yes, they do deserve to die and to be judged. And and so do I. And so do you. And so he accepts those. Who will turn to him? Why did God raise up a fully functioning orphanage through this small church 20 years ago, nearly? Because he delights to touch the lives of the socially outcast, the have-nots. He delights to do that. for not many wise, not many noble, not many mighty are called, Corinthians tells us. And we have those in our area. And having prepared this message and even thinking about it yesterday, there was a, an outcast sitting on Grandview Road yesterday, midday, just sitting there. He said, how do you know he was an outcast? The same way you would have known he was an outcast. I stereotyped how he appeared, how he acted, what he was doing. And the first impulse that I had was, I'm steering clear. Why would that have been the first impulse that I, that I had? Because I don't always walk with the heart of God. Anybody identify with me? Help me out here. And yet, Jesus created that one and is the creator of all, including the Samaritans, that Philip grew up saying these are trashy folks. They're on the trashy side of town. And he used it as an illustration of the universal scope of the heart of God. It's easy to befriend those who are considered acceptable by all of us. In other words, all of you all and me would be deemed acceptable by the rest of us, probably, unless you have a hidden, deep-seated racial hatred or you're a man hater or you don't have any use for teenagers probably almost certainly all of us would be deemed socially acceptable and not outcasts by the rest of us so let's not compare ourselves with one another in that sense scripture says or else you'd be rendered foolish but look out there at those he accepted and look inside at the dirty heart you had before salvation and he picked you up out of the mire as a Samaritan, as an outcast, as a trashy type of folk on the other side of the tracks and he didn't just dust you off. He changed your heart and gave you a new nature and loves you and has called you, and told you, and told me to get out of the salt shaker and get into the world. He came to the socially outcast. And then notice in the verse 6 and the first part of verse 7 that he came to the spiritually oppressed. Jesus came to the spiritually oppressed. Guys, help me out there if you would. As the all-liberating Redeemer, Look at verse 6. It says, The people gave heed to those things, seeing, hearing the miracles, and there were unclean spirits that came out of them, possessing many of them. The spiritually oppressed, he liberates. Most people in this world, most people in your neighborhood, probably many in your extended family are lost and in bondage to the depravity of their dead spirits. That is not to say that everyone lives it out in as evil a manner as possible. When I was lost, I could have sinned more and I looked for opportunities. I went out of my way to sin. I scheduled sinning. And I could have sinned more. And so can those in your life. And in Samaria in that day, there was this profound evil that was expressed through demon possession. And Philip preached with authority and with power. He had the spiritual gift of miracles, which God had given him in order to authenticate the message and had it written down for us that demons were cast out and the spiritually oppressed or possessed were liberated by the only one who can set the captive free i don't presume i was demon possessed when i was lost or anything like that i I was a normal lost person we sometimes we give too much credit to the devil it's just the rank flesh that does most of the sinning. Y'all identify what I'm talking about? Just because you want to. The devil doesn't You have to mess with you. You already want to sin. The world already wants to sin. And they do. And he came to set the captives free. In fact, it says in John 8, 36, if the Son, therefore, shall make you free. You are really free. And I tell you, with God as my witness, at the point of salvation... I was absolutely consumed with conviction and guilt over my sin as a lost person when the gospel was shared with me. And not knowing that I was going to experience this at the, really, at, at the point of salvation. I mean, a truly with the heart, believing unto righteousness, resulting in salvation. I knew instantly that I was alive in him. And the first thing that swept across my mind conscious understanding was joy because i was free i was free for the first i didn't even know i needed to be free and i was free in him and i almost started laughing for joy well verse 8 tells us there was great joy maybe similar to that in that city as so many people were liberated from the demons of their hearts. People in our world may not be demon-possessed, but they are certainly influenced, affected, and infected by the evil of alcohol and illicit drugs and cults and the occult and just the general cravings of the flesh that the lost out there folks they are mesmerized, they are hypnotized they are desensitized to biblical truth and I have to believe uh, to some degree it must be because I am not shaken enough salt around if That were not the case then why are lost people knowingly happy and comfortable being vile around me oh to be sure I have it better than than most of you almost all of you because they do know my occupation and most will curb their behavior until they can get away from me that is not the case with you but those even who know Seemingly are perfectly comfortable being vile and blaspheming, and I'm thinking, why would you disrespect me so? But maybe that's not it at all. Maybe it's that I don't have a compelling and convincing testimony and out of the salt shaker and making a difference in this world. Only Jesus. Can bring freedom and fill the empty soul. So we must intentionally and convictionally get out of the salt shaker and into the world and speak boldly of salvation in Christ, so that those who are captured might be set free. Because there's no, there isn't any other answer. You can go to psychiatrists all day long. You can take all the pills you want. And I, I, I'm not. I'm not saying to do that is is. Necessarily good, bad, or indifferent. I'm saying that that does not cure the sin-sick soul. Only the blood of Christ. Only what he has done. Because in salvation, there is liberation. There is liberation. This text tells us that, and so many others, that when, when Zacchaeus... The tax, only, ones, only ones hated more than the Samaritans were the tax collectors. For those were Jews who turned their backs on their countrymen and sold, sold them out and sold out their own souls. And when Zacchaeus, the wee little tax collector, the chief tax collector, so he was old, he's 50 years old probably, when he got saved, he was overwhelmed with generosity overwhelmed with graciousness and joy filled his heart christ sets the captive free charles wesley one of my favorite hymn writers he understood this he understood the liberation of the soul in fact i I hear and i understand that it was difficult to be around charles wesley after he got saved apparently he was giddy uh, apparently he was he was a type a swung from the chandeliers having joy in the lord <laughs> uh, i want to be like that one day and before that though he was a rigid disciplined religionist he was religious he had all of his t's do- crossed and all of his eyes dotted and he founded the methodist church because he wanted a straight-cut church that followed the rules, followed the methods that were prescribed, and yet he was lost and in bondage, his own testimony. And a group of Moravian believers were on this ship, filled with joy in the Lord, singing and testifying as if it was Paul and Silas in the Philippian Jail. And Charles Wesley knew something was missing in his life. He was eventually saved by grace through faith and his heart was liberated. Years later, he went on to write my favorite hymn, And Can It Be? And the words to one of the verses, he said, y'all, for a long time, My imprisoned spirit just laid there. It was all bound up in sin and nature's night. In other words, I was conceived in iniquity. And in sin did my, uh, uh, I was born iniquity, and sin did my mother conceive me. I had the sin nature. And then he says, but thine eye, God's eye, diffused, poured out a quickening ray he woke, that's the quickening of Ephesians 2.1. And you hath he quickened, that is, woke up, who were dead in trespasses and sins. I woke, and the dungeon flamed with light. In other words, for the first time, I had been bound, I had been blind. God did something out of the blue because I didn't know to even look for it, and he woke me up to the reality of my need for liberation And I could see, I could see my condemnation. I could see his mercy. And when that happened, the chains fell off and my heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. That is exactly, it happened to me, it happened to you, if you are a child of God. And it can happen to those out here as we are salt and light in KC. Amazing love. How can it be that thou, my God, should die for me? Oh, to be captured in a fresh and a new way with that heart that Jesus is the all-liberating redeemer, deliverer, savior for those who turn to him. And then finally at the end of verse 7, and the in verse 8 we see to the physically overcome to the physically overcome Jesus is the all sufficient comforter notice at the end of verse 7 and there were those who were paralyzed they were lame who were healed and there was great joy many folks are not social outcasts they're not demonized they're not part of a cult They're just lost people. They're your neighbors. They're your co-workers and yet are helpless and hopeless possibly because of illness, blindness, something along the line. But if not that, they still are heading toward the outward man perishing. You see, your lost neighbor ages just like you do. You hear that? Your lost family member is getting old just like you are. And there's no stopping that. There's no fountain of youth. But there's a new day for those who turn to the comforter. And so people who are ill and weak and blind and mentally challenged uh, uh, need to know that there's a God in heaven who sent his son that they might experience infinite love and comfort. I've shared in the past what is a, a powerful verse on this subject, 2 Corinthians 1 and verse 3, for it says that God is the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. Write this down. For our sin, he is the all-sufficient Savior. That is, he's the Father of mercies. For our suffering, he is the all-sufficient comforter. And only he is. How do you have the death of a loved one? How do you have your loved one murdered? How do you get receive the diagnosis of cancer? What do you do when the boss says you're fired, you're laid off? All of these things that visit people regularly. Without the all sufficient comforter frankly i don't know what you do you 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 deny you pour yourself into the bottle or the bottle of pills you attack you go after other who knows how many ways it could be expressed but we can help actually help someone i can actually help someone who is terminally ill I can actually be used of God to make a difference in the life of a woman who's five children, with five children whose husband is in prison for 10 years. I can actually help that one by being poured out of the salt shaker and poured into the world. And you can too. Not just can, you must. I must. Because that's the plan God has left for us. By sharing hope in Christ, the hope of eternal life, eternal life to come, the assurance that God really is near those who know him. You see, folks, it's either true or it's not true. And I'm convinced, and you are, that Hebrews 13, verses 5 and 6 absolutely is true. When it says, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. So that we may boldly say, see, there's a reason for, for, that we're given this. So that we can boldly say, the Lord is my helper, and I'll not fear what man shall do to me. Th- that disease might take my body, it can't take my spirit. Th- that persecution, that animosity, that whatever it might be, does not move the Lord as my comforter. Folks, a church... The size of Redbridge, with the theological understanding we have, with the resources available to us, with all the blessings that we've experienced these 55 years as a church, ought to be making a significant impact in the arena of seeing souls saved. I'm wondering if we're comforted and pacified. You see, If the baby's crying, you have John with you. He's in the nursery. I was hoping to use him as an illustration. I wanted you to pinch him real hard on the back. No, I would not. The baby's crying. The pacifier doesn't nourish. You following me? Can I get a witness? Pacifier doesn't nourish. But, but it takes the ease and the burden and the guilt and the whatever off just like possibly giving to missions does. If I write a checkout for $100 and give it to a missionary, if, if I take a missionary for a meal, if we provide our house to missionaries at no charge, they are blown away. You all are the best church a missionary could have. Maybe, sadly, that's probably true. It probably is true. And I'm glad that it's true. Let's keep doing Let's see another missionary sent out in 2021 that we're supporting in a significant way. Yes, but that cannot be the pacifier for home folks to not also be doing the job personally and individually as God wants us to. Don't get me wrong. I know fully well that God must must touch and change the heart. He must grant repentance and faith. I can't do that. But I'm equally convinced that as a believer and as a local church, we are called to be poured out of the salt shaker and poured into the world and if we are, we would be seeing fruit. I close with this thought. And this is as convicting and compelling for me as it is you. But John 15 says, if you abide in me, I'm abiding in you. and your, My words abide in you. What will happen? You will bring forth fruit, good fruit. 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. It's going to look different for any individual. And that fruit might not always be in a soul saved. You might be watering that plant. See, you might be planting that seed. God is bringing in the harvest. But there will be a harvest if there is. If you're a farmer and you plant seed all of your life, and you're watering that, and you're taking care of that ground and, and, and turning over the fallow ground and, and putting in the good seed. And by the way, folks, we have the good seed. That's the one unchangeable in that whole, whole scenario. We know the seed is good. We know the incorruptible seed of the word of God is the gospel, which brings life. Amen? Hmm. Do we believe The gospel is the incorruptible seed that brings spiritual life yes so amen so as we sow it and we're genuine and we're careful and we understand what we're doing i ought to be able to expect fruit from that a farmer doesn't sow saying it's not going to matter what am i doing who am i kidding no a farmer sows expectantly And so, so that you don't leave with feeling guilt manipulated. I do not want that. That doesn't go any further than off the edge of the pulpit. I don't receive it. I don't want you to receive it. But I do want us to hear that we can leave here being poured out of the salt shaker into the world and expecting God to use our seed sowing. I can expect him to bless with fruit with a harvest that he's bringing in, just like he has to make the steed, the wheat, grow, germinate and grow. So too, he has to do that in the spirit of a lost person. But I can reasonably expect he will do that. And I'll close and argue one point, present one point. We're going to hear about heroes by faith next Sunday and next Wednesday. I would contend that those whose lives we review and were presented—in fact, the one I'm presenting is my namesake, Borden of Yale. Can't wait to to, to present that 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 historical and uh, and uh, challenge and all. I would argue that William Carey and Borden of Yale and and Tyndale and uh, um, and. Uh, um, Annie, uh, uh, Annie Armstrong and Lottie Moon and whoever else you'll hear about understood that God wants me to sprinkle the salt everywhere mixing my metaphors from sowing and sprinkling salt and he will use that to bring about the preservation of a life that he created, for whom he died, and for whom he cares. May we have our part in all of that enterprise by his grace and for his glory. Lord, I'm thankful.